Most businesses today face two major marketing challenges. One, people are overloaded by information. We're talking about four and a half billion pieces of new content every day. And two, people have much shorter attention spans and spend only about eight seconds on anything before they jump onto the next thing. It's no wonder that companies are struggling to get their message heard. The result of poor marketing communications is that half of all new business ventures fail in their first four years, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. With this in mind, Visual Storytelling Institute co-founders Shlomi Ron and Alex Caravallo asked themselves, how can businesses connect more powerfully with audiences? Welcome to Visual Storytelling Today. This is your number one source for the latest and most effective business marketing strategies you can apply today to rise above the noise. From video and infographics to augmented and virtual reality, join us every month to meet notable visual storytellers and discover their marketing insights and stories. Here's your host, Shlomi Ron. Hi, my name is Shlomi Ron. I'm the co-founder of the Visual Storytelling Institute based here in sunny Miami, Florida. And we are the only visual marketing think tank that really combines the power of storytelling with the effectiveness of digital media uh, in order to drive business results. Uh, what we do is really helping you, the marketer or the entrepreneur, rise above the communication noise with our personalized visual uh, storytelling programs. Uh, we leverage this uh, using our signature nine-step My Visual Story framework. So you can connect uh, with your audience, empower their lives, and really grow your company. So today, as we're getting closer to the end of the year, I figured it's probably better, like everybody else, trying to kind of summarize uh, the road they concluded and what's ahead by talking about uh, visual storytelling trends for 2018 and beyond. So one of the things that I'm super excited about is to have uh, my good old friend and digital futurist, uh, Jeffrey Colon, he's a communication designer at Microsoft, to kind of uh, lead this conversation around uh, visual storytelling trends to watch for in 2018. So with that, uh, welcome to the Visual Storytelling Today show, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me, Shalomi. Good to be here. Awesome. So we know each other, you know, going back to the IBM uh, happy days where I was heading social and mobile and you were heading strategy on the Ogilvy side. And, but for the sake of our uh, viewers and listeners on our podcast, uh, maybe you can uh, give us a, a nice uh, review of your backstory, how you got started uh, in uh, digital marketing, because I know that you have an interesting background uh, starting in the music business even. Yeah, that's probably where I would begin. I think that's where I first really got into technology, and that was 25 plus years ago, working with a lot of MP3 technology when it was still new. Yep. Um, and, you know, Napster was still very fresh in most users' minds. Uh, that, I think, combined with a lot of um, chat rooms on AOL and understanding oh. where search was going in terms of Yahoo and yeah. Google when it was really, really new uh, was probably the infancy of how I got uh, my feet wet into the digital world. Right. And... Um, uh, ran my own consultancy for a while, got into a lot of uh, work with uh, digital distribution companies on the on the web um, in the early 2000s, when that was a big uh, area of how to actually push content uh, online, which, you know, now we almost take for granted in terms of these larger formats that most visual storytellers use. Back then, it was much more difficult, I think, to put a video up on 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 the web, especially yep. before you know pre YouTube. Um, and then I uh, got into the agency world and really got to work with a lot of brands. I think uh, in terms of how they built their websites and navigated lots of different communication channels, and of course that led me to Microsoft five years ago, and I've been here ever since. And what do you do for Microsoft today? I work with Microsoft on what trends are out there, how we take advantage of that, how what services we might build, how we communicate to uh, people, uh, since that is a much more difficult task than right. the old way of uh, sort of PR narrative communications. Now it's really about, uh, you know, what do we create 
visually so people can understand what we have, uh, what we're trying to say, but also what can we get them to create? I think that's a big part of Absolutely. visual storytelling you and I have talked about quite a bit. Yeah, no, so this is fascinating. So it sounds like you are really in the eye of the storm in a, a major corporation where you basically responsible to tell or to evangelize the story of Microsoft and, and kind of connect with audiences uh, through visual storytelling, it sounds like, right? Am I right? Yeah, um, I, that is correct. You know, and we have lots of different products and services, and I think each one tries different ways of doing things, and it's really communicating with them that uh, they think of things that might be a little bit more on the edge, right. uh, which, of course, you know, we're going to talk about today yeah. uh, when it comes to trends for 2018. Absolutely. So to start kind of uh, the story from the top, you know, just to kind of uh, level set everybody, can you give us your kind of a point of view about what is visual storytelling from your uh, experience from what you've seen in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is how do you connect with people in a way that you're not using words? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, words are important, but we now know that people learn in different ways. Uh, many of us learn through visual communication. So if you think about how artists used to communicate, they would use a blank canvas to basically um, evoke a particular feeling. Yep. Advertising sort of co-opted that. It took visuals and said, we're going to create a feeling, but we're also going to try to sell a... Uh, a good or a service of some sort. Right. Now we've actually moved where uh, we think about art and, and advertising and how that actually lives within a web ecosystem or some of the new technology uh, that people communicate on, how we reach people on mobile, how we reach people through uh, augmented reality, lots right. of new ways that, uh, that we, can, we can get people to feel a certain uh, emotion, but I really, it really comes back down to the visual side of, 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 the, uh, of the spectrum. Uh, how do we use 3D? How do we use sound? Right. Um, you know, and, and of course, all this actually starts with words because you're usually writing what you want to express to, to someone, but then you're translating it in a way that, well, how does this actually become a visual piece of storytelling rather than a paragraph that in the past we would have issued that paragraph as like an advertorial. Right. Now we're basically uh, pushing things that might be two or three minute videos. They might be uh, interesting infographics. They might be um, uh, soundscapes that explain basically the world around us. There's, there's, you know, this is a whole new area that I think uh, we've been able to take advantage of because there's so much technology uh, from a creation standpoint, Shlomi, that we're able to use as storytellers now. Absolutely. So definitely what you described is uh, Jeffrey really taking care of the, the visual side of the house in visual storytelling. But can you tell me a little bit more about how storytelling itself, uh, do you find it to express itself in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what it's become now is it's much more of a, uh, 360 situation, uh, you can get much more immersive with who you're trying to connect with. Uh, some organizations and companies actually will um, uh, use material hoping that their audience will respond to them mm -hmm. and almost create a two-way conversation. So gone is almost this linear narrative where you're just amplifying what you want to say right. and what you have is you almost expect people to converse back and forth with you. This is why if we think about it, you know, GIF and meme culture is so popular because you might issue something, someone responds with a visual, you respond to them with another visual before you know it, you're communicating. That's really what emojis are. Right. Uh, this is, you know, we all have the ability now to um, uh, have much more of a conversation, much more of a dialogue and that actually leads to better ideas that companies, if they're actually listening and can pay attention to what people are, 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 are communicating to them, 
they can use that as a feedback loop along, of course, with their own intuition and, and um, creativity to create some interesting uh, you know, new products or solutions. That's the big thing that I think is missing from a lot of uh, modern storytellers is they think about, you know, how does the brand tell a story that people remember? What I think is important is, you know, how do you actually have a conversation that allows you to actually build things that uh, you might not have thought of prior to that conversation? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Because in our uh, workshops and programs, what we communicate, at least our definition is really visual storytelling. It's obviously, it's a, it's a new label for a methodology that, you know, since the caveman, you know, one day you woke up and they start painting, a, you know, the animal he hunted in the morning, right? So the way we kind of look at it is we say basically it's a marketing strategy that has three components. One is that they use the three-act story structure, and this is something that not a whole lot of marketers are aware of, you know, the setting conflict resolution. Uh, two, that you put your customer as the hero of that story, so it's not about you as the brand. It's really the brand serving really as a guide or advisor. It's, it's all about the, the customer, how they see the world, you know, the problem they're trying to solve. And the last piece is really about obviously using a visual media, could be images, videos, all the way up to AR to communicate that story across uh, the buyer's journey. So in this way, we, we try to kind of get a sense of a consensus of what visual storytelling is. But to your point, I totally agree. And this is something that we see a lot that it's really about the co-creation. So the story is, is you know, the brands, yes, they are communicating the story they are the story makers, but once the consumer received it, and as you said, rightly so, you know, they put their personal spin on it, they become story makers by their own right, and then they can storytell it, you know, forward. So it's, it's, it's a dual process that, you know, most consumers wear kind of two hats, you know, story maker and storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so, you know, for anyone that's kind of a, now we kind of spike their interest about visual storytelling <laughs> and they said, okay, I get what it is, but tell me more about, you know, what type, how can it support my business objectives? You know, what can I get out of it to impact my business? What would you say? Well, I mean, I think the thing that we have to always go back to is, you know, word of mouth has always driven interest in things, places, uh, ideas. So, you know, storytelling uh, really helps in terms of generating interest or word of mouth because people are basically connecting with something that they say, wow, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm seeing something, I'm immersing myself in something that's unique. I want to learn more about this business. Yep. That's really from those who don't know who your business is. For those who your customers are, let's say you already have, you know, customer that uh, exists in your ecosystem and they are constantly using your services or solutions or buying your goods or they support your business. Right. You know, storytelling acts as, as more of a, a bond. It's like a glue because yeah. they don't, you know, there's some things that are utilitarian, but people are still looking for more information on how to use it. Uh, we, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, especially in the B2B space. It's yep. not enough to buy a solution and then say, all right, that customer has all the things they need. We yep. can move on. No, right. they're actually looking for more uh, storytelling, especially visual representation on mm -hmm. what should I do with this now? How do I enable myself so that in my, in my own business so I can actually make things happen? On the yep. B2C front, you know, people are still looking for tips on a variety of different uh, ways that they can uh, get ahead in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is where, you know, this, this you know, visual storytelling really uh, works in, in both of those areas, either the initial connection, which gets people interested and they want to learn more, right. or they're already using your service and they want to learn more and they want to learn it beyond just, we have a new white paper or go to this section of our website and we have this or, you know, um, uh, come see us, et cetera, or come call us. I mean, storytelling now really allows people to, you know, basically educate themselves and, yeah. and do things that don't necessarily require them to constantly have to interact with, with others. And, and then, of course, if they do have questions, they're able to then go back and say, okay, I need to learn more. 
I mean, I think it's just the way that we, we, we speak now, Shlomi. I mean, there was uh, years ago that uh, many people out there were saying like, everyone needs to learn to speak more visually or speak mm -hmm. socially. Uh, and I think this is really what visual storytelling does now because it's no longer about, let's just create a memo. Yes, right. memos work. Uh, yeah. Words yeah. work, but people are so they learn in different ways. We now know that people learn uh, uh, through different means. Some people like to read. Some people like to see things. Some people like to have things explained to them uh, or a combination of factors. And I think what was missing for a long period of time in the world of marketing was they just were really relying on good copy or good copywriting or right. good writing. And while that's important, that needs to be the base uh, layer for what uh, you ultimately provide that connects with others in a way that's visually appealing. Yeah, I really, what you, really liked what you said, Jeffrey, in the, in the beginning that, you know, visual storytelling, you know, if you look into figure out your visual storytelling strategy, you know, you really want to build it for each stage on your buyer's journey. So at the top of the funnel, definitely where you create your top awareness, this is really where you, your story needs to shine the most because obviously your bandwidth is very narrow. <laughs> People don't have a, a lot of attention span at that point. So your story needs to be super uh, quick and uh, impactful. But as you go down the middle, middle funnel, once you got them as customers, obviously you have much more uh, bandwidth to tell deeper stories and connect better and that brings a whole slew of uh, products from uh, webinars to white papers to you know face-to-face -face offline events whatever but so it's really the visual storytelling strategy is really kind of adapted to the different stages uh, in the buyer's journey from the top funnel to the mid funnel so the story kind of almost like a, an amoeba <laughs> adapted itself to, <laughs> you know, to the attention span your audience has and the familiarity they have with your product. So absolutely. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, since we're talking about uh, 2018 visual storytelling trends, uh, there's a lot of talks about, uh, first of all, you know, we all know that visual storytelling originally emerged from the world of entertainment. You know, if you think about Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey, and how the, you know, the movie business kind of structured itself. Yeah. And, and then now marketers, since they are bombarded with, <laughs> bombarding consumers so much information, it's about time to figure out the new Trojan horse to break through. And visual and storytelling is kind of the lethal combination, right? So. When you look at uh, the road that visual storytelling has uh, made so far, what do you see coming up in the future? You know, passive versus, in versus interactive uh, delivery pipelines, and especially if you can also address, you know, the today's uh, dramatic FCC announcement about net neutrality in terms of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is that, uh, you know, in terms of the, some of the, the new technologies or, or things mm -hmm. that were on the fringe that will continue to become very popular in 2018, um, because you have uh, AR capability with AR kit that mm -hmm. uh, is available for anyone who wants to develop it for iOS, right. I see that getting more and more popular mainly because I see more visual storytellers saying, how do we do things on the web, but also how do we do things that might be out in the physical space, again, around contextuality right. that people can unlock with their, with their phones. So let's think about physical retailers for a second, Shlomi, you know, because many of them probably might say, I don't, you know, what's our use of visual yep. storytelling? You know, we have a store and we need to drive traffic to. Right. But if you open up an AR experience that might be in front of your store that you can only see through an AR app on your phone, that opens up visual storytelling to a whole new sector of commerce that may, you know, maybe in the past didn't utilize it as much as, let's right. say, more direct marketers or B2B marketers. So I see that as a very big area that hope uh, that, that a number of new people enter into. 
I think with video, we've seen that for a while, but I think people are now looking to do things that are very unique and interesting because anyone can shoot a video. Right. But what's actually going to make that video stick and be more uh, interesting? Um, what do you think I, in terms of video like products? You know, obviously we have the video explainer, the tutorial. Yes. Any kind of hot sweet spots coming up? I think what we are going to see is what we call call and response video. And this actually aligns with the world of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which is why I think this could be interesting. If we think about artificial intelligence in its most unique and elementary form, if I'm programming a bot and someone types in, you know, how are you today? The bot would basically just type back or respond. How are you today? It's, call, yeah. it's basically call and response. It's the most elementary form of artificial intelligence. I think if video uses this now and someone creates a video and then basically says, what do you think? Or, you know, do you agree? Mm -hmm. Instead of, of, of the comments section on many of these platforms, people actually will respond with video. And what you actually will then end up having is an entire video that is created that starts with that initial question and then has answers from different people that are basically threaded together that someone could then watch and get ideas from. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you think about it now, look at the reviews section on like a platform like Amazon. That's pretty crude in terms of how you actually find out information. You have to, you have to go through like 2000 reviews for some of these products. It's almost impossible to weed through many of those. Right. I think if they actually move toward here are the top product reviews and they are in video form and they're short, that gives another way of actually representing uh, yourself in that space. That's an area that I think visual storytellers have to pay attention to. Even if they're not creating those, they have to figure out how do we get more people to actually review products using video. So, so you have it's like a video testimonial. That's one area that you mentioned. And the other one, which is kind of interesting, it's almost like video bots that kind of remind me, you know, <laughs> some Serbian chicken on steroids. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, I mean, yeah. So those are, you know, those are areas that I think we'll, we, we may see more of just because yeah. Snapchat years ago opened up this revolution where short video about a minute long became a new way to communicate. And that is now used in a variety of different, uh, uh, you know, business sectors where that, you know, that's basically common. In fact, I'll even take it a step further where, you know, Google is mm -hmm. thinking that search results possibly in the next year or so would actually be a person talking about a particular subject. So let's say, we type a query that uh, someone asked the question, what is visual storytelling? Right. And you show up as the top search, you know, sort of result. We actually do for, for, for our first blog post, actually. <laughs> there you go. And it's you basically giving an explanation in two yeah. minutes of what visual storytelling is. That is a primer for people to click to find out additional information. So again, right. visual, you know, th this is an area where visuals actually play more of a, a of, of, I guess, uh, a way to get people to take action because they've connected with something where they're like, wow, I do want to learn more. And even if it clicks over to a site where it might be more where they have to read, mm -hmm. you're getting them to a place um, that they may have not gotten to uh, through sort of just the regular means of, of, of how search worked uh, in the past. Um, I, 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 so I do see much more multimedia, which is a huge area of visual storytelling, really being uh, used in some of these um, sort of areas that we didn't think it would exist whatsoever. So, you know, search engine result pages, uh, product reviews on Amazon, Yep. I think those are things that we're, you know, we should think about, uh, you know, when it comes to, to next year. I think the other thing we have to think about too, and only a few companies have thought about this is how are you combining both everything you do visually in a way that can also be represented in an oral or an audio manner? Because that is still storytelling that uh, yeah. when we think about visual storytelling, you can still tell a visual story with audio. 
We, we know this from old school radio. Theater of the mind, we call it. Exactly. <laughs> and I think this is an area that a lot of visual storytellers are going to say, wait a minute, how do we take this story and actually present it in a way where, you know, we're using all these best practices from mm -hmm. these podcasts that have been popularized over the past five years, where we basically paint a picture in people's minds. That, mm -hmm. uh, people enjoy that, I think, because... Uh, I'm, you know, I'm wearing my headphones right now. People have m a lot of time to actually listen to things when they're doing other things in their life that they may not be able to watch. And I think the smarter visual storytellers are, are on to that and realize, hey, we need to actually utilize this because we want to connect with people uh, in any sort of condition of humanity that they may be in. Yeah, in fact, uh, this show is both a video and also an audio podcast. <laughs> there so you go. Grand example. Kind of, yeah, we're, we're following best practices. <laughs> we're implementing your, your, <laughs> your gospel <laughs> so, in a way. So, and what do you think also about, uh, you know, I know that AR, VR is still kind of in the early stages of the, their evolution, but any kind of advice to marketers, anything they should you know, do today in those, in these spaces? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's interesting is I found out from a number of AR developers mm -hmm. that uh, they said the easiest or most elementary thing that uh, someone in storytelling could do is use an actual physical um, object that already exists mm -hmm. in like the, in like sort of the physical space. This means Let's say you already have a billboard campaign that, that exists in, in a city. You're a local business. You yep. bought a billboard. It's downtown. It's the only thing that you could actually afford. You could actually take that billboard and AR enable that, Shlomi. Mm. So you're basically developing something that already on top of something that already exists. Right. And that's very important, I think, for visual storytellers to, to note because many times they think they have to go back and create something brand new from scratch here. I think it's actually like, how do you enable something that already exists? Um, you know, if you have a physical storefront, how do you actually make the window display? So it's AR enabled. So you're not having to create something again from, from scratch. How do you actually make the, the, um, uh, when you walk in the entryway, the doormat or something that actually might be there, that, that is, that, that, that is enabled so that it unlocks, um, either more information or in, in, a lot, in, in the case of many physical retailers, it really unlocks basically rewards that you can only get from basically utilizing AR. And what, what many of these apps actually do is you can collect backend information. So you have an idea of who that user is, why they maybe use that app and, and, and if they cashed in those rewards. That's another way for physical retailers, I think, to connect a little bit better in a more immersive manner with, uh, with, with their customers in a physical space. That I think is important to- It's like geofencing, uh, you know. right? So basically, it, exactly. I mean, these are all things that have been going on for years, yeah. but now they're just tipping and becoming much more part of, I think, your, 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 um, you know, your, your strategy when it comes to, you know, what do we want to do with our overall, you know, sort of visual uh, marketing uh, for the next you know year when it comes to specific campaigns right so we kind of uh, you kind of touched on several areas to watch for you know the the video testimonials a uh, product testimonials the video bots you know uh, how you can augment your existing uh, physical presence in retail with AR or geofencing when you think about all these uh, trends can you give us your sense of uh, now looking through the latest announcement and the climate that we live in. So first of all, the FCC announcement, you know, killing uh, net neutrality, but also the landscape of, uh, you know, fake news. So how those two yeah. elements together work to what marketers should be accounting for when they think about visual storytelling, knowing those two elements are in place right now. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is, you know, the net neutrality uh, repeal uh, is going to make it difficult, I think, for a lot of businesses. I don't know if uh, the FCC has really thought, you know, long and hard that this uh, 
probably only benefits a few internet service providers and doesn't benefit, you know, large and small businesses who are both, you know, legacy companies as well as, you know, sort of the innovative startups. So yeah. to, uh, to think of, and we have to now think about, you know, what happens if a customer is trying to unlock an experience online, but maybe doesn't have access and our pages are going to load a lot slower. Yep. Does that mean that, you know, more companies try to get people to basically do things offline uh, mm, in an app ecosystem, in an, in, you know, in an area that they're still taking advantage of, of, um, of, of sort of visualization, but doing it in a way that, um, you know, doesn't require um, all of their customers to, to try to access things where it may not be equal. Again, I'm speculating here, but, you know, if we look at what happened in Portugal, where they sort of carved up the, uh, uh, the web and, and, and repealed net neutrality there, I mean, ISPs have really sort of boxed it all together and have required people to pay more to access certain types of content. That might mean that, you know, putting a YouTube video up may not have as much weight if a customer cannot access that at the equal speed as they had in the past. Right. So we almost have to think about, you know, where could people live on the net as a result of this and how do we adapt as, you know, visual storytellers to take advantage of this? I actually think it makes um, alternative ecosystems like applications uh, possibly more popular. I mean, we, I know we're going through major app fatigue and people don't want to have to deal with that. Yep. But uh, some brands might take uh, better advantage of that because you're not, you're not necessarily dealing with all the restrictions that uh, you, might, you might have to deal with uh, sort of in a, in a, in a mobile internet um, or a mobile optimized internet uh, 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 area. So these are, you know, they, these are things I think storytellers are going to have to adjust to. You're not, no one is uh, going to get to equal access to everything now. So that uh, requires maybe hmm. uh, pivoting and saying, you know, well, who could get access to this? Who are basically right. the gatekeepers uh, and how does that message then spread offline that we're, you know, utilizing online? A lot, a lot to be, a lot remains to be seen here, but it's, you know, now it's part of the equation where you didn't have to think about that uh, prior to this new law. You could basically just say, Hey, we're going to actually use the internet and everybody has equal access to it that can get the internet. Now yeah. you know, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I definitely, you know, they, I know that they're going to still, you know, fight this in Congress and there's definitely a lot of uh, uh, work that uh, still uh, is going on to change this. But, you know, from what uh, you, you indicated, it sounds like that if you look at, uh, you know, our visual formats that visual storytelling uses today, you know, it's pretty much a, an exchange of, uh, you know, how big is your bandwidth so obviously yeah. images are very easy to consume but as you go yeah. up to videos and you know 360 and up maybe what you're saying here is that you know those the uh, isps uh, will you know deem them as premium services and yes. again limit the access to them because it eats up their uh, you know bandwidth so and then you know the counter reaction is as you you know, you said, you know, it's going to move people towards either offline pockets or specific uh, pocket of the activities online that maybe offer this, you know, like the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> open, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I mean, and to answer your second question in terms of like fake news and yeah. a number of other things, I mean, the more I think real things can look less doctored, more crude. Mm -hmm. I mean, this plays both into the repeal of net neutrality as well as the battle of fake news. The more doctored something looks and the larger those images are, the more it's going to have trouble, I think, getting to anybody because those images are large, as you said, and they might be yeah. dinged as part of a, a premium service. But also the more doctored they look, the, the less likely they're believable. And I think this is really where, you know, people are really trying to go back to sort of the crude side of, 
let's not Photoshop everything. Let's, you know, let's leave sort of the flaws in work that we do. Let's learn from actually seeing how people respond to this. I I mean, I mean, the best visual storytelling this past year has really been, uh, you know, it's almost like photojournalism. It's real. There's no doctoring whatsoever of it. Uh, And I think that's a good learning lesson for everybody in business. Don't doctor everything. You know, Photoshop is not necessarily your best friend. Uh, You know, leaving some of those streaks in the photos or things that you might, uh, uh, you know, there's one person I know who leaves misspellings in all their infographics on purpose just because people are like, wait a minute, this looks like somebody threw it together real quickly. Uh, and people basically talk about that and it gets a lot more engagement and as a result, it's seen by more people. So it's interesting how people actually yeah. approach and, this. We actually, you know, say the same thing in a workshop, you know, imperfection and vulnerability is really elements that you definitely want to utilize and because it really brings up your authenticity and make people, you know, connect with you better. And it's kind of interesting also seeing uh, some of this sentiment also happening in LinkedIn. I know that you are. <laughs> very active on LinkedIn and we started seeing this with the you know originally we had the the classic uh, post long form post on LinkedIn and then people migrated to longer updates <laughs> yes with the two line uh, snippets that kind of tell a story and this is kind of another you know evolution in this uh, platform of how people are telling their stories and opening up their experiences and looking for, you know, similar uh, feedback from people who experience the same experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's constant change that is going to continue to happen in this area, like everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, years ago, I would have told you, you know, you need to learn Flash. You're going to do anything in visual storytelling. Now, I mean, there's, I mean, that's a worthless, uh, (laughs) <laughs> that's sort of a worthless skill, uh, you know, because that's really how most websites were built. Um, now, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's still important to learn different languages, HTML, maybe Ruby on Rails, uh, mm-hmm. Python, things of that nature, especially if you want to have a little bit more of a, of, of a background, not just in the creative side, but how it might be deployed. Um, but I mean, I think even, you know, one area we didn't touch on in terms of trends is, you know, how do you continue to think about uh, verbal, uh, our voice enablement skills that tell a story. So let's say I say to, you know, let's say I run a business um, that uh, deals in in hardware. Mm -hmm. If I I enabled an an Alexa, an Amazon Echo skill, um, and I, you know, I said, Alexa, tell me the, you know, hardware, hardware skill of the day. And then basically she told me, you know, what, uh, what, uh, tool to use when trying to build something and I sort of like was learning something from that that's another area of storytelling that I think many of us have to start to get used to is is again on that verbal cue side of the spectrum we we have been so entrenched on the video side of the yep. spectrum we have forgotten that we have uh, intelligent assistance and many skills we can build for those intelligent assistants and to me even though that's not an area where a lot of people are necessarily uh, that area is only going to continue, I think, to grow. Though that is almost like the new operating system, like voice recognition, voice activated yes. products. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even like you know, I think like one of the things you know, like I, I I've I've seen educational uh, uh, institutions do is you know move into creating Alexa and Cortana and Google Home skills, where it's like you know, hey, ask us what uh, you know what happened on this day in history. And basically, that skill is is programmed by them. There, that that's an open area for many many companies, large and small, to get into. And we would be shocked. Or actually, I should say to our listeners and viewers, they would be shocked that it's not actually as difficult as we think to program a skill in that area, because most of it has actually been sort of uh, done for us in the sense of like machine learning templates that we can copy. It almost reminds me of back in the day, you would copy HTML code and paste it into your website mm-hmm. and you'd have a website built. Now that's happening, I think, with Alexa and Cortana skills, uh, where there's not a lot of coding necessarily required to get one up and running and she can respond accordingly. Um, and I think that's a huge area for, for, for storytellers 
uh, to really take advantage of, uh, I think, uh, in 2018 as well. One thing you mentioned that kind of uh, made me think uh, deeper about how, you know, today we have a, you know, we look at the ecosystem of visual storytelling. We kind of like to kind of break it down to three main categories, you know, story making, you know, the research folks, people who develop the strategy. Then you have the story visualizing. These are really the producers or the di different visual media formats, images, videos, and so forth. And then the last piece is the storytellers, the, the actual marketers that communicate it to the world. So do you see in the future that, uh, you know, the world of marketing is going to kind of uh, consolidate? Because right now we have a whole separate breed of programmers. You got to know how to code in order to tell rich digital story. Do you see this, you know, whole spectrum of programming uh, moving away and kind of evolve into a natural language. So if I want to create a, something elaborate, it's going to be like, you know, writing a letter because, you know, the natural language is going to be communicated with the, with the actual code. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, I think, you know, what we don't talk about a lot in mm -hmm. education is that, um, you know, when we talk about STEM education, yeah. People think of coding on a computer where you're typing in lines and lines of code. Yep. I mean, that to me is antiquated because most machine learning understands almost every language in the world already. Why does it understand that? Because every language is basically on the internet or used within search. Search is such a big part of artificial intelligence yep. and machine learning. And if you take that and then say, hey, wait a minute, let's, out, let's allow dictation. And let's allow people to basically do what you said, what we call latent uh, speech, natural mm -hmm. language. Yep. Uh, instead of people basically coding where they're they're using, you know, sort of like programming plus language. Plus or whatever. Exactly. Yep. You know, what you're basically telling, you know, you're basically telling a program what to do. Yep. And it will mimic that. I know that sounds like it's out of science fiction. But I think yeah. that's really what we're working toward. Uh, you know, and I can say that I think, you know, as, as someone here at Microsoft, I mean, uh, I don't have, you know, I'm not privy to information that they, that on, on the things that they do, but I, I know that speech and natural language is a huge part of the next wave of computing. And it would, it would shock me if language or coding was, was, was sort of, you know, was trying to mimic what we do now in 2017 and that looked and felt the same in you know 2023 let's say i think it's going to look and feel radically different so yes natural language is going to become bigger and that's actually going to put much more emphasis i think on you know what is your creative idea what is your imaginary idea more than do you have the necessary coding skills uh, to bring that idea to life. Now you got to hire a dev to do that. And in, in the exactly. next five years, you may not need that at all whatsoever. I mean, here's a good example. This past year, I developed two bots. I have no programming or computer science background whatsoever. I used what basically we have built here, this Microsoft bot framework that allows you to build a bot within our cloud ecosystem and then deploy it across any channel that you want. In my case, I built a bot that I basically embedded on, on a website, but I could build a bot and use it in Facebook Messenger. I could build a bot and use it in Slack. I could build a bot and put it, you know, basically on any of these third-party ecosystems. If that already exists now, Shlomi, then what's going to exist five years from now? I think it'll be wow. radically enhanced. And I think, I think basically what companies like Microsoft and Google and Facebook and, and, and Amazon are trying to do is democratize much more of this uh, so that, you know, if you are a small business or you're an innovative business, you're not being necessarily uh, weighed down with, hey, I don't have the resources to build this. You're basically using what resources are provided. It's like a WYSIWYG experience that anyone can actually pick up. That's exactly it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, think about it, you know, bots a couple of years ago, you really had to understand mm -hmm. specific languages to program one. Now it's really ar around what do you want the bot to basically ask and answer? Right. And how, where does it scrape for its information? Because 
Most bots are programmed where it can either scrape a, 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 a large amount of websites, it could scrape the web, it could scrape uh, data systems that you have set up. So let, yeah. let's say you go to like American Express and you ask, you know, what's my account balance? The bot knows who you are because you're logged in and it can look in the back end system and then tell you, hey, Jeffrey, your account balance is $2,000. So yeah. You know, banks are moving more toward these areas now. I, I mean, visual storytelling, I think the reason it's important to understand this is because ultimately you'll, you'll be able to tell, I think, software many more things and it will be able to actually create some of these systems that we have to basically create by hand now. Yeah, and that's, that's, I really like what you said before about, you know, regardless of the technology of the day, you know, at the end, you know, we definitely want to focus more on the creative muscle versus, you know, the technical know-how. So if you focus strictly on creating a powerful story, regardless of the medium, and I think that's, that's I see, I agree with you, that that's probably the future because at the end of the day, the story always wins. And, you know, if you give people a, a better focus on, on just the story so that they don't have to worry about, you know, they miss a, like a comma in their code, <laughs> nothing <laughs> works. Yes. So this is really, you know, ridiculous. I mean, it's not a good use of people's times anymore. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So then now that we kind of did a very kind of a long deep dive about the trends and you know, what to watch for, uh, maybe kind of to bring this home, can you give us a, like one or two examples of visual storytelling trends that you really like and kind of explain why? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm, um, you know, always fascinated by um, is, you know, still this area of augmented reality and how people are opening up these, mm -hmm. uh, you know, opportunities. This past uh, year, um, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's still a, a pretty new area of discovery, but um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but basically they allowed you to, um, you know, open up their product with AR so that you could see sort of how it worked on the, on the, on, on the inside. It was more of a machine type of company, more of a B2B type of company. I thought what was really interesting there is, you know, some of these systems are so, um, they're so complex. You can't open up, you know, machinery necessarily to look at it. Uh, and AR now unlocks that. So I think there's there, there, you know, that opens up areas that, uh, we haven't even thought of in the past. Yeah. I think about like, you know, if you're, you know, what can museums now do with this? You know, you can curate sort of, uh, you know, whole new areas. Uh, book publishers, I think, could utilize it in new ways. Hospitals, I mean, it's an endless amount in terms of what you want to do uh, mm -hmm. with that. So I think, the, you know, that's, uh, that's something I'm going to, you know, continue to pay a lot of attention to. I think the other thing that I really am fascinated by is what we call visual bombing, which is sort of like 3D imagery that you put on the side of a building. Now, some people might say, well, wait a minute, you know, Jeff, that's, you know, I can only do that in one physical location. But what mo many people are now doing, uh, Shlomi, is they're videotaping this because it looks awesome. And then they're putting these videos all over the web and people can see this. Uh, it re actually reminds me of like street art from 10 years ago. A street artist would do a piece. They would video the finished piece. They would put it or take photos of it. They would put that in for, they would put that up online on a blog somewhere and people would, you know, share or comment about it. Now what you're seeing with the uh, sort of 3d visual bombing is a lot of people putting up like short videos on Instagram showing like, you know, Hey, we did a visual bomb on the side of the empire state building last night. Here's what it looked like. And now everybody across the globe can see that, especially if they're following specific hashtags. So this is projection, awesome. right? You're talking about so this is, this is projection mapping. Yeah. So this is like an area that I think like most people who are really into visual art or design, it's like, how do you actually take that mm -hmm. in a 2d world but also you're projecting it 3D onto, a, you know, uh, like a structure of some sort. But right. then you're taking it the next level by videoing and creating a story out of that video that you then share with everyone across the world. I think we're going to see much more of these types of uh, stories mm. um, really shared, uh, you know, this next year because 
people like doing things in physical space, but you're limited by the amount of people that actually might see it. Even if you have foot traffic in a large city like Miami or New York or Chicago, yeah. you're, you're only still reaching so many people. You add the video element, I think the that- whole you know, that see it, yeah. The whole world can see it. And I think yeah. this is an area that companies have really borrowed from you know, visual artists Oh, yeah. And uh, street artists from back in the day, and they're just utilizing this. We call this the conjoint effect. It's basically your bar. You know, everybody's borrowing each other's ideas because mm. we're much closer together on on the web. Uh, so that's going to be really fascinating to see if that uh, if that continues to pick up. But I think three D, you know, mapping is is a huge area that it, that has not been really utilized by as many organizations as I think it could be. Yeah, it's almost. You know, I think about it almost like a digital graffiti that it's eco-friendly. Yes. <laughs> you don't yes. you don't really damage any you know walls or buildings. It's nothing's all... damaged, and a lot yeah. of people actually you know the the materials that it requires. You know, it's you know a laptop, um, a projector. You know, usually like a battery. Like many times, people plug their projector into their battery yep. of, of a car. And they put everything on like the top of their roof and they're usually not even like breaking any laws. It's quite funny. I mean, you can do things legal and illegal. I've seen protection mapping where some uh, events have actually said, you know, hey, we want this because we want to basically show everybody who might be walking by what's happening. Right. That's the legal side. The, the illegal side are people basically projection mapping, you know, without a permit. Yeah. Uh, but again, the video aspect gets it out to so many people who normally would not even know about it and as you know in our attention economy though that, that word travels very fast yeah it's a wow effect and people like <laughs> things that are it's, it still has a novelty effect i think <laughs> so, no absolutely so so yeah i think you know we most likely convinced a lot of folks uh, listening or watching you know we yeah, have visual storytelling is super uh, going to be high on my list for next year so if they want to get started you know what kind of three tips you can recommend for them to focus on? Yeah, I think the first, you know, look at a lot of different uh, aspects of, of storytelling, you know, immerse yourself in that. I think the best storytellers are people who actually look and, and read and, and watch and view and listen different types of storytelling from different types of companies and, mm -hmm. and, and whatnot, because it gives you ideas like, hey, yeah. why did the company decide to do that? Or that's really interesting. Or why did, you know, why, you know, that didn't really connect with me that, you know, th that actually, I think helps you become a better, uh, a better person because you're getting ideas. I think the second thing is, you know, make some of your own content, even if you don't unleash it to the mass audience. I think it's important to really understand. And pilot. You know, how do you make this? Yeah. How are you doing? Like, you know, basically, if you think about how, you know, startup ideology works with, a, you know, a minimum viable product, you, you have to do the same as a visual storyteller. You know, many of the people I speak to who are really good video makers now started out making the roughest, ugliest, terrible videos ever. But yeah. you got to start somewhere, Shlomi. And I think yeah. it starts with making things that you're like, I'm just going to show this to a few of my friends. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily release it to the world at large. Yeah. But some people will because they just are like, well, the only way I can, you know, learn is Get to just some feedback. feedback. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get a lot of feedback that, you know, hey, your videos are too short or they're too long. So oh, is there yeah. any way you can find a sweet spot? Um, so like that, I think is important. I think, um, so, you know, watching lots of different content, making your own, and then how do you measure it? Like, yeah. So basically the third area is thinking about what do you ultimately want to measure? Because I still think we're at a, a crossroads of, mm -hmm what is important out there because uh once you deploy you know visual uh storytelling elements into the you know sort of the ecosystem you know what do you want to collect what's most important to you uh in terms of tracking what does success looks like look yeah, like? yeah, yeah. Uh, and i think a lot of times we think about what we're going to create and how we're going to get it out there but then we don't think about how we're ultimately going to measure it and what we could learn from that. I mean, yeah. if you do something that you're like, wow, that took a lot of money and time and it didn't really do that well. The learning is how do you do it that it doesn't take as much money or time, especially if your results aren't going to be necessarily, you know, that good out of the gate. Um, 
And I think the interesting thing is in the past, you had to make an expensive piece of content and buy, the, buy media for it and buy an audience for it. You don't necessarily have to do that to test things in this day and age. The feedback loops are much quicker. Uh, this is why you could actually you know, figure out what's not going to work and pull that quickly before you spend a ton of money on things. Absolutely. No, these are fantastic tips. So just to kind of summarize for the folks, you know, first, you know, don't be afraid. Test uh, your visual storytelling program. Start simple. You know, don't be afraid to, to break things because that's how you're going to learn. Uh, check out, you know, feedback from your friends, colleagues. And the most important thing, make sure that you know uh, what you are, what is, what success looks like, what you want to measure, how you can, uh, sometimes it has to do also with who is the audience for your uh, product internally. Is it your C-suite? Is it your CMO? Who is that? That can definitely, uh, that is part of the KPIs that you want to uh, bring about as you build a program. So this is fantastic stuff. Uh, I want to close with the, uh, I know that you are currently working on a, a new book called Visual Bandits in a post-advertising world. And this is really nicely connected to what we've discussed <laughs> uh, <laughs> this entire uh, 45 minutes. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your book when it's coming out. And yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I haven't started working on it. I'm still trying to find a publisher for it. My, my, um, my agent's still working, you know, with a couple different uh, publishers. Uh, most likely probably won't be out till you know, 2019, unfortunately, yep. with the way publishers work. But, um, you know, the gist of the book is actually not just around, you know, what we create visually and what we can create, but will there be emotional analytics down the line to measure many of these things? Because mm -hmm. we don't necessarily have that right now. Right. Um, and uh, so it's almost like a book in terms of look at all the wonderful things that we can create. Is it really enough to have a heart symbol justify you know what is basically created is you know or is there a better way to get more emotional analytics out of the out of the sort of systems that we create because i don't think that um we've justified you know the amount of content that is out there that is floating through a lot of different ecosystems and channels uh, it, we don't really know what necessarily has uh, resonated beyond just sort of simple vanity metrics. Um, so I think it's important um, if we're going to put a lot of work into the different things that we do, you know, what will basically be the measurement, you know, the, or the after effect. Uh, and I embedded myself with a couple different people who actually create a lot of um, interesting content to see how they do it, how they're inspired, um, you know, you know, what companies sort of pay them to, uh, to do. I mean, this almost is an area, if we think about, you know, the modern art era of the 60s, you had sort of very yeah. interesting artists, you know, you could have that in this area or this mm -hmm. part of the world now, where you have people who do both things that are commerce driven, because that's how they make, you know, money. Andy Warhol and Keith right. Haring were known for that. But then they also do things because they, you know, they're artists, they're visual yeah. artists and they're visual storytellers and they just want to be able to do that because that's what sort of like drives them to do those things. So mm. I think that's an interesting part of the book too, is that intersection. I always, as you know, Shlomi from my, you know, first yeah. book, Disruptive Marketing, I'm always fascinated with, you know, intersections of, of life and how people are hybrids and you know, can we get more people who are Renaissance men and women and Da Vinci's and all that? Yeah. And I think this is a huge area where that uh, really can thrive and exist. Oh, that's awesome. This is, sounds like really an amazing book and so timely <laughs> because again, people, a lot of people are grappling with those issues of visual is great, but how can I really connect the dots both in terms of the analytics, but also, as you said, how can I, uh, intersect uh, what I do with another unrelated discipline and create something new and fresh. Yeah. And, also, and it's a, you know, also it's a, it's a, think about it. A, a, a person who wants to do this can come from really any, yep. any field. You don't necessarily go and train to become, to become this. I mean, like you, mm -hmm. a lot of these skills are really learnable and adaptable over time. And I think that's yep. also really unique too, is we're in a time when, 
you know, the ones who really want to learn the skills will really, I think, take, you know, the most advantage of it. So that's, I think, another part of the book that, uh, that I'll point out as well is um the entry points how people yes. can actually get into this world yep. yes yes you know not all of them are going to come from necessarily a visual design background in yep. fact many of them are coming from like a variety of different uh uh areas i mean i've had friends who have really become very good photographers who were basically working on wall street as in you know investment sure. traders or investment bankers and just said like this isn't really for me i love you know taking pictures and now they're very very famous you know visual sort of uh uh photographers and storytellers i think the same you know i, I think that can exist i think anywhere for people who are really fascinated by this world well said so thank you so much jeffrey you know this has been a fantastic uh time chatting about uh, trends for visual storytelling in 2018 and beyond. And if our listening and viewers would like to contact you, what is the best way to do it? Yeah, you could find me on uh, Instagram at DJGEOFFE. I'm also on Twitter at DJGEOFFE. And then uh, LinkedIn, heavily active there, full name yeah. Jeffrey Cologne with the G and last name Cologne, C-O-L-O-N. Awesome. So with that, uh, again, thank you so much and happy holidays, everybody. And we all wish you an amazing 2018 with a lot of visual storytelling successes. Thank you. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.